The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. I invite you to open your Bibles once again to the book of Psalms. Today's class is a journey of theology. Theology proper. We are going to study the portrait of God in the book of Psalms. What do we learn about him? How does he disclose himself? And we have to remember that he gives us his Bible that we might know him. He wants us to know him. He, he gives us his word in a book made of letters that build into words and words group into clauses and clauses work together to give us texts and in texts we meet our God. One of the biggest reasons, the biggest reason that my son Ezra, who's in kindergarten, has spent the entire year so far learning his alphabet. He's got two more letters to go. One letter per week, learning his alphabet, is so that he might meet his God. Faith comes by hearing words, as disclosed in this book. He's learning language so that he might read, so that he might communicate, so that he might read first and foremost this book, so that he might then in turn communicate something about God to the world through his words. Our God has spoken And every single word matters. By God's grace, the words work in translation. But he didn't give it to us in English, he gave it to us in Hebrew and Greek. And Jesus said, every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. And therefore, taking time to study this book carefully is about glorifying Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to walk through... The introductory psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, and then walk through the concluding psalms, Psalms 146 to 150, and just try to assess, if we look at the frame that is given to us in this book, the two bookends, how do we meet God? And this provides the lens then through which he's displayed in all the rest. So... Open up your Bibles to Psalm 1. This is where we are going to begin today. And as we move this way, just pray one more time with me. Heavenly Father, soften our hearts that we may celebrate your display. May we not be cold in encountering you like we're going to encounter you today. May it move us to awe, to deeper levels of humility, and for your sake, worship. In Christ I pray, amen. Walking with the Messiah, waiting with the Messiah, worshiping on account of the Messiah, A cantata of Yahweh's kingship through his Messiah. That's what the Psalms are about. If we were to just type into a concordance, where do we find the words for God and how often do they occur? Here's what we land on. The Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters, which is the name of God, occurs 695 times in the book of Psalms. Way more than any other occurrence of Uh, manifestation of, of, of God. So, Yah, the shortened form, shows up 43 times. The choir today just sang, Hallelujah. I have no idea how many times they sang it, but it was a lot, right? I mean, the whole song was Hallelujah. And as I've said a number of times, in saying Hallelujah, we're actually not talking to God. It's a plural imperative, a plural command. We are commanding one another to get involved in the business of exalting Yahweh. Hallelujah is a plural command form. Praise, praise, not to one person, but to a group. Praise, Yah, hallelujah, Yah, praise the Lord. Yahweh shows up 695 times. He's called God, Elohim, 
365 times, Ale 77 times, Eloah one time, all of them different forms of the term for God. He's called Lord or Sovereign One, L-O-R-D in small letters, 67 times, Adonai. And then El Yon and Shaddai show up 24 times, translated Most High. God's all over the Psalter. If we recall, there are five books, and each book ends with a doxology, a call to praise. Everyone mentions Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh, in our ESVs, the Lord, in all caps. Blessed be Yahweh, the causer of all things. That's what Yahweh means. The God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be Yahweh. Now, Blessing in the context of covenant relationship is what is given to the other party of relationship. So God, in fulfilling His part in our covenant relationship, grants blessing toward us. But often in the Psalms, and usually it's, just, it's often translated just praise, praise the Lord, praise God, but bless the Lord, O oh my soul. What does it mean that we would give blessing to God? It means very, some, something very comparable to God's giving blessing to us. It's that we're going to fulfill our part of the covenantal relationship. Bless him means give him what he deserves. Give him what his covenant status calls for. And we give him blessing or praise. That's, what's, that's what he, in this bound relationship of obligation established under oath, is worthy of all of us. And then on the flip side, he, in light of what he's promised us, ultimately in Christ, blesses us with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, in the hope of, every, of the full inheritance which is coming. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So he pours forth our way Everything that the Spirit can, can give us, hope and help, forgiveness, security, encouragement. He overcomes fear. He just pours it our way. He gives us blessing. And in response, we say, bless, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name, a glorious name. A weighty name. His character distinct from all other things. Yahweh, the causer of all. When he talks about himself, he says, I am who I am. But the name that we give him is Yahweh. He causes. Lewis is more than the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He is... Lewis. But if he had written himself into the story of Narnia, like God has written himself into our story, all the Narnians would cry out to Lewis, he's the causer. That's how we understand him. Everything about him that we know is because he's written it on the page. That's his name, the causer of all. And in in Exodus chapter 3, he says, it's my memorial, meaning I want it to be remembered who I am. May His glorious name, Yahweh, be exalted forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Blessed be Yahweh forever. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Every book ends with this doxological move. Praise Yahweh. This this movement of glory to make much of Him. Faith is the one thing we do that takes the spotlight off of us and puts it all on God. So engage yourself in the life of faith, a life of dependence, a life of humility, a life of intentional worship, and God is exalted. The Psalms are designed in pain and in pleasure, in community and in private, to move us from lament to praise. It's supposed to make much of God. So, let's consider 
what the frame tells us about him. If all that we have is these seven chapters, what do we learn about our God? And it's glorious. And so I want you, as you're hearing this, and as you're uh, looking at the text and seeing it there, to just kind of take it out and put it in your pocket. You know, just store it up so that when you need it, it's there to pull out. When we left for Ethiopia to pick up our second and third Ethiopian adopted children, Teresa, who is over there in the bright green, took my son Ezra, who's our first from Ethiopia, our fourth child, our first adopted son from Ethiopia. I mean, it was only a year since we were bringing him home, and then God let us bring home Joey and Joy. But when she left, I mean, his life is fragile. He's had so much leaving. He knows the pain of orphan status. And his mommy came over to him, and she said, okay, some of you have seen the book. She, she put her lips into his hand, something like this. It was like, now close your hand. There's a kiss in there for you. And any time you need to know that mommy loves you, just open it up, and it's there. That's what I want you to do today. I want you to see the kisses that are flooding through the Psalter and this messianic music, and just let it, just grab it, hold on to it, put it wherever you've got to put it, so that you can remind yourself when desperate times come that we have this kind of a God, and that he's for us. Your kissing hand or whatever it's called. I I forget exactly, but it was was like that. Okay, now I am confident that we're going to see a lot more of God than just what I have in here, but what I've listed are at least some heavyweights in each of these Psalms. So I want you to see them. And if you see other things about God, don't hesitate to raise your hand and say, oh, there's one more that we could have added to the list. So, Not necessarily does every one of these psalms explicitly say, Yahweh is this, or Yahweh does this. But as we walk through it, I want you to to be looking, thinking, how do we meet God? I want to know Him. How's He disclosing Himself here? So I'm going to try to lead us, but if you see more, I want you to point it out. All right? Let's look. So what I say is in Psalm 1, God is the good guide, the satisfier and judge who preserves and flourishes those faithful to his law, but who allows the wicked to perish. A guide, a satisfier, a judge. Let's see if you see it there. Blessed, happy, satisfied is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law that comes from Yahweh. It's the law of Yahweh. So the one who's buried in the law that comes from God finds his heart satisfied. We have a God who is a satisfier. But he's not only a satisfier, he's one who gives instruction. All throughout the Old Testament, we translate this word law, but we have to remember that law is bigger than what we often think of it. It certainly includes the directives about how to bestow mercy and how to work justice. Things that we normally think of as legislation. But it includes much more. Even stories can be called law in the Old Testament. And the only way they could be called law is if law is broader. It includes just instruction. All the Bible is, in this sense, law, instruction for holiness. So God is one who gives instruction. And the man who delights in this instruction, who follows in the way of the instruction rather than in the way of the wicked, who's turning from that instruction, finds a good guide and finds their heart satisfied. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf doesn't wither it. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for Yahweh knows. 
He knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. This knowledge appears to be the knowledge of a judge who discerns discerns between sheep and the goats. So if you're on the side of sinning in secret right now, you should tremble because God knows and the wicked will not stand in the final day. And if you're on the side of one who has been hurt deeply, our God knows. And though you may feel like you are down, He will raise you up and you will stand with Him in the last day and He will put down those who have hurt you. He's a satisfier. He's a guide. He's a judge. Anything else? Anybody see? Brother Rick. Life giver. Life sustainer. In light of the water imagery. Bruce. A teacher. That's right. So we have a God who is a teacher, an instructor in the way. So those are two great additions. The life giver and the teacher or the instructor. Let's look at Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they're the sovereigns in space and time. The world looks to them as holding all things together. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh. And not only against Yahweh, the one that he has anointed in order to rule on his behalf, the one who displays perfectly his character, his anointed one, a man under authority, a man of the book, his king. They stand against this God and against this king, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So there's a deep-seated hostility, and yet he who sits enthroned in the heavens simply laughs at them. The kings of the earth are not the ultimate sovereigns. They do not have the ultimate authority. Those that think they control you don't control you. God controls all. He sits in the heavens and he laughs at those who would seek to to stand against him and against his anointed. The Lord holds them in derision. So the Lord in verse 2 is Yahweh. The Lord in verse 4 is Adonai, sovereign. The ultimate sovereign, the ultimate master, the ultimate Lord of all things stands against those who are hostile against him. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now the one who is writing the psalm talks to us. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's the guidance, the instruction that God gives his anointed king. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. In light of who this God is, in light of who His anointed is, be wise and be warned. Serve Yahweh with fear. What does it mean to serve Yahweh with fear? Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. There it is. There's the explanation. To serve Yahweh means you will be surrendered to His King. You cannot say the Lord is over all things and truly understand what that means. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not just a God out there, but that God is reigning through His Son, His earthly Son. Kiss the Son, and then you will find safety. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. So the anger of the Son is nothing is, is being paralleled to the anger of Yahweh Himself, and the result will be perishing. For His wrath 
is kindled quickly. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So I, I say this, Yahweh is the great sovereign over all, and he is the treasure. The treasure of all who take refuge in him. Blessed are those, satisfied are those who treasure the Son. The one who deserves worldwide homage and who promises the destruction of his enemies and worldwide dominion to his earthly king. A sovereign and a treasure. What else do you see? A refuge. People seek refuge in so many different places. Over the last few weeks, what we've heard from Neil is one who was in desperation seeking refuge in the only place that will really sustain. Calling us to stand with him, calling us to pray for him. Help my unbelief, help me to keep trusting in God. This is where I want to stand. In Christ alone is my refuge. It's where we have to go. Sustained suffering shouldn't be justification for pushing us away from God. Suffering is an opportunity to display His worth. As we get stretched, as we get stretched, and as we learn to hold God, to not hold God to promises that He never made, suffering stretching us, The opportunity is to find Him as a refuge for our hearts. A hope and a real help, even when everything else is falling. So that we can say with the psalmist, The Lord is my refuge and my help, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though the oceans roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Though everything on earth is going to pot, though all of my life is crazy, we remember there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. My life in chaos, where God is, is still peace. And the goal is, God, even in the midst of my chaos, let some of that kingdom, where there is absolute peace, come to earth. Let me taste it. Let me feel it. Let me experience it, so that I can have that abode that only you can give. We have to remember, when God says, love me with all, all your heart, all your soul, all your might, That commandment is the most loving thing that God could do. The most loving commandment He could wake. Because in God alone is their safety. In God alone is their help. In God alone is their satisfaction. The kind that lasts. He's the only Savior. Don't look for it anywhere else, He says. Look for it in Me. And the number of laments in the Psalter tell us that this is not a, um, a whimsical dream of God. Yeah, he's, just, he's big and He's for me. But this is a psalmist who's experienced it. Who's felt the rage of the nations against Him. Who's felt the deep-seated pain of loss. And has found God to be faithful. We're talking about a real God, not just a dream, not just an idea. We have to put our hope in something tangible, something that we can hold on to. And the psalmist is trying to clarify, he's real and he's for us. For us, if we are finding refuge in the Son. A God who is a refuge. Anything else in Psalm 2? A covenant Maker and keeper. Where do you see that? He's declaring something to his son. One who ultimately, I mean, David conquered a lot. Solomon controlled a lot. But not 
the ends of the earth. It wasn't all theirs. The only king of gods who ultimately receives everything is King Jesus. And here God is standing before him, making a declaration, I'll make all of it yours. All of it. So we have two parties. Yahweh making a declaration to his earthly son, binding himself through promise, through oath, it will all be yours. So a covenant maker, a covenant keeper. He has a son. That's so important. His sovereignty over all is going to result in unbelievable fury and wrath against all who oppose him. And this happens justly because he is God. Because he is God, he deserves all. Everything else is derivative. And when he stands against his enemies as a good judge, declaring upon them a justified sentence for their rebellion, the punishment will be severe and lasting. To feel the fury of God. Jonathan Edwards, um, the sermon that everybody knows from him, I don't know if it's the one that people should all know from him, but he did offer some very profound thoughts in it. Which sermon is that? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In this sermon, he talks about the fires of hell are not simply something that is to come, but something that is already blazing in the soul of every man. What hell is, is merely the consummation of that fury kindling, growing, growing, rather than being quenched by God. John chapter 3, the very last verse says, If we do not believe in the Son, we remain under the wrath of God. That the fires of hell are characterizing every soul. That deep-seated rebellion and hostility against God, something identifying them with the devil from Genesis chapter 3. And that fire will continue to grow until it consumes a person wholly. And yet, a psalm like this is given. Rather than just God bringing the fires, he writes a song. He writes a song in order to call people away from the blaze. To allow that fire to be quenched. And respite to come. For the heat to be brought down. For us to know His patience and His kindness and His love and His forgiveness. For those who can read the psalm and answer its call, find refuge in the sun. The fury will be poured fully on the sun and not on us. One of my students, well, uh, do you guys know Chris Powers? Um, maybe you've watched a YouTube video by Action Jones. Many, many uh, contemporary Christian songs have been put to art. If you go over to Pastor Jason's house, you walk into his house, walking straight up the stairs into his living room, he has a five-by-five five art uh, picture, mural, painted by my student, Chris Powers. And he's Action Jones, and if you just go home and type Action Jones into your YouTube, you will find so many unbelievable, um, just the music that we sing up here, put to art. And it's glorious. Gospel message after gospel message. But one of them has the fires of God, fires of God's wrath, pouring toward the sinner. And Christ is standing there with his back, just all of his muscles just ripped, sitting there on the cross, holding back the fire of God's wrath. All of it is being quenched on Christ while he looks down at the sinner's eyes with just this face of compassion and love. Action Jones. It's just beautiful, beautiful. And you can free download them which is something I probably have to do this afternoon for my daughter. She's been riding me. I, she wants to get these to be able to watch on her computer. So 
A God who is fiery in his wrath, and yet who provides a way for respite. Now turn all the way to the back of the Psalms. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Do you hear that preaching to yourself? He's talking to him, his own self. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. Put not your trust in princes, in a mere man in whom there is no salvation. Where does salvation come? Not in a man. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Don't put your trust in an unfaithful person who's unable to save. Rather, put your trust in a faithful Savior. That's the call. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. The one who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Who keeps faith forever. He's a keeper. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. By the way of the, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The princes are not where the power lies. The power lies in God. He is the ultimate Savior. He is the helper or the keeper. And we can know He's able because He's the Creator. That's what it says. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord His God, who made the heavens and the earth. He's that big. And because he's that big, over and over again in the Psalter, that is the ground that we can be confident in light of the fact that he has worked justice. In light of the fact that we have sought refuge in his son, we can be confident that he is able, as hard as it is, as deep as we feel, he is able to find us and give us that support. So, I have here Yahweh, the faithful Savior, the great creator of all, and the keeper of the downtrodden. He's the constant one. That's that word, who keeps faith forever. It could be translated, who keeps constancy or truth forever. It's unchanging, unswerving. He's just the same. The constant one who brings to ruin the way of the wicked and who will reign supreme Forever. What else do you see in Psalm 146? Liberator. So there it's, it's unpacking this keeping idea, the, the helping idea, and it just makes it specific. He's the liberator. Those that are in prison, he brings out of prison. One of the great verses that I, I, just, I just love this. I used it over and over and over again in my office with students at Northwestern. Student after student coming in with broken, broken pasts at 18 years old, having such a history of brokenness, so much of it received from their families, from their parents. And 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19, He has ransomed us from the futile ways of our forefathers, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He's ransomed us, liberated us, brought us out, we don't have to be what our parents were. A chain of divorce can be broken. No more. A history of pornography can be broken. No more. Bitterness that is allowed to fester in the soul can be broken. No more. The gospel does it. The blood of the cross does it. He's a liberator. All of this is just crying out, how can God be this way for us? 
How can he work this way for us? And the focus on Yahweh is matched by a focus on the Messiah. And at this point, we've already seen so much. We've seen Leviticus portrayed. We've seen Isaiah 53 portrayed. We've seen all the testimonies of hope, not only as the Messiah as as great deliverer, but Messiah as suffering substitute. And all of that is brought to bear then when we get to the Psalter and we see the Messiah being the instrument through which God will work justice, through which God will establish peace. So we, just have, we don't have to step back far to just say, how can he be this for me? How can he be the great liberator? When I myself was one of the rebels who was standing against him, how can he justly allow me to find refuge in his son? It's because the price has been paid fully. And because of that, I can walk out of that prison and say, no more a prisoner by the grace of God. Anything else? Psalm 146. I'm sorry? A watcher. Where do you see that? Which verse? Which verse is that? Ah, he watches over the sojourners, upholding the widow, the fatherless, the way of the wicked, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Yeah, that's just comforting, isn't it? He's just, he's watching. He knows. Compassionate and loving. loving. We see that echo of, of, uh, that was mentioned even this morning at the 9 o'clock service um, in Pastor John Grano's prayer A faintly burning wick, he does not blow out. A bruised reed, he doesn't break. He cares for the broken. He moves and works on behalf of the broken. And we can find comfort there. 147. He gives sight to the blind. Amen. He's a back surgeon too. He lifts up those who are bowed down. It's good. It's very good. An ophthalmologist and a back surgeon. Psalm 147, here's what I've got. He's the architect, the overseer, and provider of the universe. And what he has designed, even if we are questioning its design, why did you put the cabinet there? Why is that door over there? It is good, and it's just the way it needs to be in order to make the most of his son at the cross. Every pain, every problem, every joy, every delight is being orchestrated in order that for eternity we might be able to find our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate greatest joy. Why doesn't God save us overnight and make us perfect so that we're not sinning anymore? Why does He leave us here rather than take us to be with Him right away? It must have something to do with the glory of the cross. Because all that God is doing is to preserve and display His glory perfectly. And His passion for His own glory is not separate from His love for us. In our receiving His love, in our being willing to open our arms and receive His love, His worth is put on display. And He has created a world where He is allowing stumbling to happen, even for believers. Struggles with sin to happen, even for believers. So that for eternity, we might recall every single moment that Jesus met us, Jesus forgave us. Every single morning when mercy came, once again, once again, once again, fresh mercy at dawn, fresh mercies, fresh mercies. And we'll be able to celebrate it and our hearts will be enraptured all the more with great love for Jesus in the future because of what He saved us from over and over and over and over and over again. The architect, let's see. Praise Yahweh. It's good to sing praises to our God for it's pleasant and the song of praise is fitting. The Lord is a builder. He builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. It's not just a building that he's structuring. He's structuring a people. And I think, in light of its placement, the vision here is not just earthly Jerusalem, which at this time has no king, and the temple doesn't at all compare to 
what will come. This Jerusalem is envisioned as something bigger, something greater, the full, complete Jerusalem, what we would call the New Jerusalem, which the book of Hebrews says we've already gathered to in Hebrews 12. The Lord is the builder of Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds, determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to the God of our on the lyre. Notice it's our God. Make melody to our God. On the lyre, he covers the heavens with the clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food, to the young ravens that cry. He delights. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But Yahweh takes pleasure in those who fear him. The same thing that he declares over his son at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He wants to say over you. He wants to say over you. I take pleasure in you, my daughter. I take pleasure in you, my son. Everyone who fears me, I am delighting. My soul is delighted in you. To have a God who's delighting in me, even as a sinner, as a saved sinner, yes. He delights in those who fear him. In those who hope. In his steadfast love. God, I need more of it. I messed up again. I need more steadfast love, please. I'm hoping in it. And he says, I take pleasure in that. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? <laughs> he sends out his word and, he, and melts them. You know, some people who get you know, called the ministry in Hawaii, you just say, you really can't read the Bible right, can you? you know? <laughs> we, we had a student who just came to, to Bethlehem. This is his second year now. He told Pastor John face-to-face, he said, Christian hedonism could not have been birthed in any other place on earth other than Minneapolis. <laughs> Where you're just forced into this delight in God when everything else is cold. So, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules, praise the Lord. He's an architect. He's the builder. He's the provider who's just pouring it out, sustaining, upholding. He's our God. He reveals his will and in that way gives oversight. in a unique way, granted his word to Israel. He's not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. What else do you see? Brother David. Communicator. A communicator. So he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Every action, every activity, notice what follows. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost. These are his commands, I think. This is his upholding. This is the type of text where the book of Hebrews can say, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Because he's speaking, you and I are breathing. But if he stops, we stop. Every bit of us being upheld right now because he's commanding it to be so. Everything. That's our God. May we not doubt him. May we not run from him. May we tremble and take comfort. What else? Anything? I need to hurry. Psalm 148. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praises to my God while I have being. Wait, wrong psalm. Praise the Lord. From the heavens. Now notice, this is just beautiful. It's from the heavens in verse 1, from the earth in verse 7, and it just covers everything. So in the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him all His angels, praise Him all the hosts, sun and moon, shining stars, highest heaven, waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He established them forever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Well, how about from the earth? Yes, praise the Lord from the earth. Sea creatures in all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind that fulfill His word, mountain and hills, fruit trees and cedars, beasts and livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth. Indeed, all peoples, princes and rulers, young men and maidens, old men and children. Are you in there? Did you see yourself somewhere in there? Am I the young man or the old man? That's... Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He's raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Notice it's not everyone. It's already assumed it's not all of Israel. There's an Israel within Israel already in the Old Testament. He's not for all of his people who are, who are rebellious. Indeed, they're the ones who were cast out of the land. And yet even some of those who are cast out of the land, he shows affection to because they find refuge in his son. He's over the heavens. He's over the earth. He's supreme over all. His name is worthy of praise in all creation because through him all things were created and because he's exalted over all. Let me just push on to Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. God is the king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody with tambourine and lyre. For Yahweh takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles and fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is the honor for all of his godly ones. Here, all of a sudden, this psalm, I think, goes... uh, It moves into the ultimate picture of the end. We know that Jesus told Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then my disciples would have risen with swords already. And yet Romans 16 is able to say, The day is coming when God will put the serpent, the devil, underneath the church's feet. Fully defeated. Fully down. It won't just be Jesus. It will be Him as the head of the body. And we as the body working with Him in some way, bringing destruction to all the enemies of God. He's the great king who saved a humble people for his own pleasure, for their good. And finally, Psalm 150, he's simply God over all. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound, with lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipe, sounding cymbals, loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 2, His mighty deeds, His excellent greatness, His works and His person. That's why God deserves praise. How do we respond? Um... Let me just jump through here. Works and praise. Works, works in person. Um, oh, where is it? I know I had it. Um, Psalm 78. In light of the greatness of our God, it says, let us pass it on to our children. Let us not withhold the greatness of our God from the next generation. 
And that was where I was going to end, even though I had lots and lots more slides. We have a God who displays himself in the world through his Messiah. He reigns ultimately through his Messiah. He is... Guide, satisfier, judge, sovereign, treasure, creator, keeper, architect, overseer, provider, supreme one, great king, and God over all. And because of that, I mean, the Psalms are filled with people who don't like that about God. Every Psalm has something that is hostile against this God. And yet, he stands that way, and he will display himself that way, and he does so ultimately through his Messiah, in whom we have hope. So, fill up your palm, don't let it go, and when you need to be reminded, just open it up, that's my God, that's my God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your guidance, your satisfying nature that you will judge evil, that you're over all things, that you're our treasure, that you created all things, and because of that, you're able to keep us. You are the designer of everything. You oversee everything. You provide for us over and over again. You're the supreme one, the great king, the God over all. In you, we find our rest. Fill us up with reminders in due in due time, exactly when we need it. Remind us who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for being for us in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the Kingdom and Treasuring a God who Rules, Saves, and Satisfies through Covenant for His glory in Christ.